Macworld Podcast number 349 for Wednesday, April 3rd, 2013. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Macworld Podcast. I'm your host this week, Philip Michaels, and it's an iTunes-themed podcast, or rather an iTunes Store-themed podcast. Last week on Macworld.com, you may have written, read, 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 written, read is the word that we're going to use. You may have read a commentary by Jonathan Seff, our own Jonathan Seff, about some of the flaws with the iTunes Store. It got us thinking, um, largely because it's it's... Ten years ago this very month, the iTunes store first opened its virtual doors and, and began collecting our coins for old songs that we, we didn't know we even wanted. And now it's grown into this massive thing with apps and movies and TV shows and books. My goodness. Well, not that Apple needs us to tell us what to do, but we, we thought we'd consider um, some of the ways that the iTunes store could uh, – improve the way it goes about its business. And and I have with me as my guest, Jonathan Seff, to talk about that very subject. Hello, John. Hello, Phil. And also joining us on the line from, from near Earth orbit is Dan Morin, who has, I'm sure, some thoughts about iTunes as well. I'm, I'm creating opinions as we speak. Well, very good. Uh, we'll give you some time to create those opinions because first I'd like to talk about our sponsor. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, the leading provider of downloadable audiobooks with over 100,000 titles in virtually every genre. If you want to listen to it, Audible has it. Listen to audiobooks anytime, anywhere, including on your Mac, iPhone, or iPad. Audible is offering Macworld listeners a free audiobook along with a 30-day trial. Go to www.audiblepodcast.com slash Macworld to take advantage of this special offer. It's there that you'll find books like Walter Isaacson's biography of Steve Jobs, or I was, if, if that's how you roll instead. You'll find it all at www.audiblepodcast.com slash Macworld. And uh, before you do that, though, let's listen to our podcast and our discussion. John. Hello. You have some thoughts about the iTunes store I read on Macworld.com. Um, why don't you tell everyone what your, what your beef is? Why, why is the uh, iTunes store making you sad? Well, so <clears throat> the other day I was um – in Starbucks, as I as I do once in a while, and I picked up a free download of the week, and it was a TV show. And which TV show? Uh, it was some new masterpiece theater with Jeremy Piven. Well, I that believe. that is very hoity-toity. Yes, I haven't watched it yet, but you know, I thought, oh, great! I love I love free free stuff, and I always liked more stuff from the iTunes Store. So it got me to think. You know, it's a uh, episode. It's pretty long. It's in HD. It's more than two gigs for this one episode. And I thought, you know what, the iTunes Store really needs is I don't want to download this right now, but I want I do want to purchase it, or in this case, put in a code. I just want to put in the code or press the buy button and have it added to my account in the cloud because you can stream all the TV shows and movies and music that you buy from the iTunes Store without having to download them. But yet, iTunes forces you to download that stuff right away. And you can pause it, you can delete the download, but it's still in your download queue, and at some point you're going to have to download that. And this is true of anything that you you purchase uh, from the iTunes store, whether it's songs, TV shows, apps. Yeah, uh, but it, you know, it becomes particularly important when you're talking about video because these sure. are huge files. And you know, let's say you want to catch up on a season of a TV show they really like. Downloading a season of a show in HD, you're talking 20, 30, 40 gigabytes maybe. I mean, it's a lot of, a lot of bandwidth. And 
I don't necessarily want to download the whole thing. I know a lot of people who actually buy something, wait for it to download, and then delete it from their computer because they don't want to take up the space, but they know that they can stream it to their devices, their Apple TV, their iPad, uh, or their computer, or they can download it when they actually want to have the files. If you're getting a whole season of a show, maybe you want to watch the first two episodes. You don't need 20 or 30 gigs. You just want to have those those couple right there. And so um, I tweeted about my annoyance there, and I got a lot of people retweeting it and responding to me. And I thought, hey, this touched a nerve. Maybe other people care about it. So I wrote a story about it. And So what was some of the feedback you got from the uh, from the public at large about your complaint? Um, <clears throat> other than your complaints are petty and, you know, <laughs> the world has real problems. Why are you doing this? Right. Um, your diamond shoes are pinching you. No <laughs> one can change your $50 bill, sir. But, hey, it's my job to care about these sort of sure. things. Other people can care about other things. So uh, – but but in general, the response was pretty positive and there were some suggestions people had. Someone said, well, why don't you use the wish list feature in iTunes and then you can buy them when you're ready. But the point is I want to buy them now. Let's say they're on sale and I want to buy them now or let's say I'm on vacation and something uh, – yeah, I decide I want to purchase something for whatever reason and I do it. Then stuff's going to start downloading and a few people pointed out that – and as I wrote about too, that if you want, you can purchase stuff from the Apple TV directly which has no storage. So when you purchase those things, they get added to your cloud account, you know, mm-hmm. uh, your iTunes in the cloud, and you can start streaming that stuff. But the problem is they still get put into a master download queue. And at some point, you're going to have to download those, download those on one of your devices in order to clear that out. And maybe the next time you purchase something, maybe you purchase one song, then magically 20 or 30 gigs are going to pop up in your download queue of TV shows that you have to download as well. So, uh, other you know, other people definitely seem to see the the problem there and the frustration there too. Now, uh, how how does what Apple has to offer at the iTunes Store compare to some of the other online retailers out there? In your experience, I'm I'm thinking specifically of Amazon, but if you if you've had some uh, uh, experiences elsewhere, I'd love to hear about it. Well, Amazon uh, with music, especially Amazon MP3 store, when you purchase an album, you can choose whether you want to download the files immediately or whether you want to add them to your cloud player. Um, and I almost always do that when I buy something because I don't necessarily want to download it. I just want to have it accessible. So I'll buy an album, add it to my cloud player, and then I can either download it later or I can just stream it from a device like my uh, iPhone when I want to. And I'm not forced to do it at that particular time. And with purchases of video from Amazon, they have a – within the Amazon app, the 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 Amazon store app uh, on your iOS or Android device or Kindle Fire, you can download stuff locally to be able to watch it, which is great because you still want to be able to download things locally because what if you're on an airplane or you're in a car? You know, you're not, you're not always going to be wanting to stream stuff. But with that, you can choose whether you want to download it into the app, or when you purchase it, it just sort of gets added to your account, and you're not forced to immediately download it. And, and basically what you're arguing is the major advantage of a, a download later feature is it it uh, uh, lets you take advantage of sales and special offers. It lets you basically manage your 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 bandwidth a little bit more uh, – uh, 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 with a little bit more sanity as opposed to, to 
just sort of starting and stopping and and uh, uh, sitting in that Starbucks and waiting for your TV show to download so that you can watch uh, Jeremy Piven. Uh, oh, I didn't try to download it from there. That okay. would have, that would have been that madness. would have been madness. But, sure, but you can. Um, Imagine a time maybe you're on vacation, you don't have your computer, you have an iPhone with you and you know there's a sale on season of Breaking Bad and you want to download it. If you don't have enough room on your iOS device, even if you had a good uh, internet connection, if you don't have enough room on your iOS device, you can't even buy it because it wants to download it to you immediately. And I was talking to someone and they were mentioning, you know, maybe Apple has some sort of contractual obligation with the uh, content providers to deliver a download or deliver a ep- an episode or whatever the movie to you. It might be part of the way Apple's contracts are, are set. Who knows? But I mean, from a user's perspective, that's not our problem. Our problem is it should be easier to deal with the stuff than being forced to do it. Uh, you know, as soon as you purchase stuff, and and if if a lot of people download content only to delete it so that they don't have to keep it on their hard drive locally. That signals some sort of issue that should be addressed. So that that sort of leads into the the larger topic of the iTunes Store that I I wanted to talk about, and that's whether whether the iTunes Store has gotten a little bit too big for its britches. And uh, Dan Morin, you've been you've been quiet thus far while while John has monopolized the conversation. I'm sitting here nodding, stroking my chin. Nodding. Yes. So, uh, what are your thoughts, if any, about the uh, about the 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 iTunes store and the uh, the the shopping experience as it's evolved um, over the past decade. Well, when Apple has added all these things for us to to purchase and 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 rent and enjoy. Well, obviously, we it is a lot larger than it was when it started. Right? You know, it was music ten years ago, and it wasn't and, even every record label ten. Years right? Ago. Exactly. It was. It was sort of just you know, and they've they've added to that not just in terms of expanding what's available in, you know, more music labels and stuff like that, but TV, movies, you know, apps, books, podcasts, it seems like pretty much everything now you can buy uh, on the iTunes store you know, with the exception of having your groceries delivered. But I'm sure that's coming at some point. But that does, you're right, that makes it kind of unwieldy at times because there's just so much to look for. Um, and I think, you know, they've tried to improve a lot of that, especially last year. They, they rolled out some big changes to it. But I think there are still places where it can be difficult to just browse. I, that's a big problem I have is, you know, sometimes I want to go in and just sort of take a look and see what's what's interesting and what people are talking about. And they do try to break it up with these, you know, collections and sometimes spotlight some stuff that's new and noteworthy. But I find that, you know, in general, it can be really hard to just sort of organically click around and find things you're interested in um, in the same way that you can on Amazon. I think... I, I'm not entirely certain why why Amazon seems to do this better. It's perhaps they just have acquired so much more data about their customers' habits. But if I want to go in and find, you know, I really liked this game. Um, you know, I want to find some more games that are like this. Uh, I find that their recommendations can often be kind of facile in terms of like, you know, how they associate one game with another game or one app with another app or music with another music. It's not it's not as intelligent as it could be. It, it seems um, it seems that the the app recommendations in particular are yeah. are the big problem because it, it's related to, well, uh, you bought uh, uh, Super Stickman Golf 2 and 
John over here bought Super Stickman Golf too, and and John also bought uh, uh, Murder Death Kill. So obviously, you too, you, you like, must like Murder you, Death Kill. You must kill. like the same things that this guy likes. And, right? That, There's not enough data there. Right. It doesn't it doesn't draw a complex picture in the same way that, and, and which is surprising to me again because you know clearly Apple has collected a lot of information about your buying habits over the years. Right? You've bought a lot of songs and apps and books. Um, it would be interesting to see a little more cross-pollination in that in terms of like, you know, yeah, I bought these apps, but maybe there's more to be gained from figuring out what people who have bought this app and bought, you know, ebooks that I've enjoyed. Like perhaps that might provide more data points for figuring out things that I actually might really like. Wait, you um, play games and read? I mean, I try not to, you know, it's... I'm learning things about Dan every day. No, yeah, he's, he's a renaissance the- man. Indeed. That's, uh, that's what one of my one of my objections um, to the App Store experience or the App Store, the iTunes experience. It's about apps in case I didn't give that away um, is you mentioned you mentioned browsing, Dan, and with music, that's sort of easy because you, you think, well, I heard the song. I heard the song title in the when I was out and about, I I'd like to maybe download that song and see what other. Uh, uh, recordings that band has produced. So I type it into the the little tiny search window, and the, and there it is. If I'm looking for, say, a note taking app or a, a dictionary app, I um I I type in note taker or dictionary, and I'll get the the first things that will come up will be apps that have that in the 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 name of the, the their title because app makers have and and full credit to them but they've kind of gamed the system where they they figure out what search terms people are looking for and that's why you wind up with apps that have 20 20 word names right maybe dictionary till day yes book yeah. that you can look up definitions for words in the grateful dead jam band that played in the 1960s and did lots of very long songs and live versions that can be the new name for the Grateful see the, dead. the problem with musicians is that they're just not very seo friendly yes exactly um so i i would like that it just be easier to find apps in the in the uh right and in especially the app of the ios I app store th- i think a little more power too in terms of you know, you might be searching for a notes app, but what you really might want is a notes app that lets you, say, sync your notes between multiple devices, right? But right. there's no necessarily no easy way to search on capability. You know, it's just a very sort of basic description, and obviously, as and you, you said, get so many results. Of, yeah, you right. get so many results that it's it's meaningless. How do you find the, the ones without one paging two? through each one and clicking on it and saying, "Does this do what I want to do?" Or as I'm sure you guys have done, and I have, downloading like four different apps. Until you find one that seems to be actually the right. one that you want, and that that leads me into another uh, problem with at least the app searching experience, and to to a certain extent, uh, songs as well. Um, it doesn't just have to be about apps with me, but you you're looking for something, and you get a whole list of results, and what you have to do is. Click it to investigate to see if this is what you want, and then click back to me, and then click the new thing. Uh, I, I like cover versions of songs. I'm a big fan of of, of cover versions, so I have to uh, click one song and wait for it to stream to get the preview, and then go back and and you don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole because you might never return to the the original thing you were searching for. It, it, it's a little bit confusing. It doesn't. It's not like an org. It doesn't feel like a very natural browsing experience the way that, say, browsing on the web would be. 
where you can open up a new window right. or a new tab to 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 look at this this new bit of information that you've come across. Right. And I think there's also something to be said about in terms of finding apps, there might be an app that, you know, you're really interested in, but you look at it and say, oh, this doesn't have, you know, feature X that I want, but otherwise looks pretty good. Maybe I'll come back to it and I'll add feature X. And there's, there's not necessarily a good way. The whole update system, I mean, it's great to have free updates and you get, you know, notifications to a certain extent when, when updates are available for apps that you have. But the notification or the update system can be kind of tricky at times. I was thinking in particular of the other week, there's an update to an app I use and I'm installing you know, I'm going through and installing my updates. And normally I just hit update all and let it do in the background on my iPad. And I noticed as I like just sort of page through to see what was new, there was one of my apps had this big in all caps, do not download this update. It will break your app. <laughs> and I was like, but okay. was that was that the Kindle app by any chance? No, it was actually it was Plex uh, oh. for my iOS device. But to me though, I mean, and that's a problem for developers really is that they can't if they find a bug, that they can't a, pull it like, back. They can't remove it. Right. Um, and so if you had already installed that before they even updated with that text, you're kind of out of luck until they, you know, release a patch. And sure, they're going to try to do that as quick as possible. But, you know, there are probably plenty of people who, you know, didn't see that or just hit update all blithely thinking, or I'll just update all my apps and that app is broken. Right. So that's, I mean, it's nice to have, they've done a great job of popularizing the idea of uh, app updates and making it so that people generally really do update their software. But it seems like they could use a little more complexity or at least, you know, the ability to selectively choose app update. Like, cause, you know, if I just don't want to update one app, that means I've got to go through like 12 more and have Right. Updated. And, and uh, that one app you don't update will stay in the app window. Right. I'll constantly have that little one forever, on and and if you just if if you know you're updating your apps late at night, and maybe you've maybe you've had an adult beverage or two, and don't quite remember that you weren't supposed to update to that that app, and you hit update all, and and then you're ruined. It just has a way of happening. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> one of the problems that you know it's a good problem to have for Apple, but one of the problems for users is there are so many apps, and we all have so many apps on our devices, and you know I know in iTunes I probably have five, six times as many apps as I have on my devices at any given time. And when there are updates, there are, there are updates very often for a lot of apps. Like Dan was saying, do you want to go through and individually do them? Do you read the release notes for every single one of them? You know, just like do you read the, the EULAs before you click OK on stuff? I, you know, I, I can't speak for Dan Morin, but I am shaking my head no. I read listeners. every word. I, I usually assume it's that mouse. there's, if there's like an update them. that I want and I, and I do update all because I don't want to sit there doing one at a time either. Mm-hmm. This may be a, a problem that's just um, uh, germane to me since I since I reviewed apps for four years, five years now. But these updates will come along for apps that I haven't used since since two thousand nine, since two thousand ten, and there's no way to to dismiss them and say uh, uh, never. A- no, I don't. I don't want to use that that. I don't want to update that potty training app I downloaded to teach my daughter how to be potty trained. And well, you, then, then you just delete it. Yeah, right? but n- no, it's not on my phone. It's it's still in the the, the yeah. It's it, I've deleted it from my phone and from my iPad, but still, the iTunes believes that I, I still on. want all these apps that I no longer use. Again, might be specific to me because. I've I've used a lot of apps over the years, so that not a day goes by that there aren't a dozen updates waiting for me. Uh, but I, I'm sure at this point, 
even regular users, civilians out there have have, have downloaded their share share of apps and uh, probably have to sort through a lot of uh, updates yeah, that sure. they don't Abs- need or want. Absolutely, and not just for you know updates, but just in terms of scrolling through pages upon pages of apps too. Yeah, that's mm. definitely comes to be a, you know comes to be a problem after a while because we've all uh, acquired a great deal of apps. So, so we've sat around being all complainy, telling Apple what's wrong. Let's tell Apple what they could do. What they one fix, one way to make this experience better. Let's uh, let's start with um, you, John Seth. One way to make the iTunes the store the experience store experience better. better. The 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 iTunes app itself is a whole. That's a whole separate podcast, friends. How to improve iTunes. Well, don't, I mean, up, I, don't upgrade to the current version would be the the first step. Yeah, iTunes 11 has its positive features somewhere. Somewhere, um, we you can't find them though because they're surrounded by other features. <laughs> well, there, there's that, but I mean, I, I'm I am going to go with the the um, the search functionality, you know, that we talked about, just because it does need so much work. I was looking for. Uh, some kind of like a relaxation meditation type of app, you know, something to have on my phone, you know, when my boss is yelling at me or something. Mm. No, just kidding. There. Um, but I, I, you know, you type in relaxation or something like that. And, and I got, I, you get so many results that are just totally meaningless. And then you have free version and the paid version of everything. So you have two versions of app. You have to go and look and like you were saying, you have to tap through, see what's in the free version, what's in the paid version, then go back and back out and all this stuff. And, and it, it it is it's an onerous experience there. Uh, the other thing, you know, it's not necessarily something to fix, but it's very telling that on the desktop you have iTunes and you have all the stores in one. On iOS, you still have three separate apps. You have the App Store app for apps. You have the iTunes Store for media, and then you have iBooks, which then connects you to the iBook Store. By pressing the store button and oh, flipping don't, around, don't forget podcast, which also connects you to the podcast. Oh, right now, now podcast is a separate app and is a is a fourth app. So now we have four different apps for accessing the content that you get from iTunes through one app through the store. And you know maybe there's good reasons because the experience is different on a on a mobile device versus on a desktop device. But it's somewhat telling that not even talking about iTunes itself, but talking about the store that there's four stores, four ways to get to the store on your iPhone and one way to do it on the desktop. And I think Apple somehow needs to bring those in line and make it easier for people to uh, use the store both on the desktop. A consistent and, experience regardless of what yeah, device you're, you're and, accessing and, from. You know, you, you, you still can't download and read books from the iBookstore on your computer, but Apple has finally made it so that you can browse books and purchase them from your computer at least. So now you can do everything within the uh, I, within iTunes from the iTunes Store, but four different apps on iOS, and it's th- there's some some craziness there. Dan, uh, I I think my focus would be really around the accounts your your iTunes Store account. 
Um, and I think, you know, for example, families, people with kids who want to download apps, um, you know, as you mentioned before, you know, you, you feel you're getting to the point where you're probably starting to download apps that you, maybe your daughter wants to use. And then I'm keeping the, the good folks at Toka Boca, they are going to they are going to get to name a boat after me. <laughs> from all the money I, but I bet I your daughter on. could give you a nice haircut or makeover now. No, not well, according but, to the little cat on the, the Toka Boca hair salon. And Kat then does not seem pleased with the work, but continue, Dan. The issue being that at some point, your your daughter might end up having her own iOS device. Now, do you have to go back and buy all those apps again? Do you have to leave them log? Do you have to leave her logged into your account all the time? I mean, you start to come, you know, run into problems when it's dealing with a family or more more than one person who is sharing, uh, you know, uh, an account or apps or something like that. Um, I think that that's a real starting to be more and more of an issue, especially as we're seeing more and more families where, you know, you might have your kids have separate devices, but, you know, they don't necessarily have it set up to use their own, you know, download their own apps. And maybe you want to not buy the same app for, you know, both of your kids, because why should you have to pay for the same app twice for both of your kids can use it? Um, so I think there's there's a lot of complexity in there. Um, and also, I'll, I'll reference a, a piece on our site by uh, uh, our contributor, Kirk McLearn, who wrote a, a story. He's the iTunes guy. Also known as the iTunes guy. Um, but he commented how he was moving from one country to another and ran into a bunch of problems migrating his iTunes account in terms of what he was allowed to retain access to when he moved to a new country. Which also, you know, granted, we get into the realm of legalities and all right. sorts of other issues of that sort. That's but the lawyers, at the same man. Time, they're, you know, they're, they're, if you're, you're going to need to have this experience because people are, it's not just a niche market anymore, right? It's mainstream. Yeah. So if, if you move to another country and you can't, you know, access any of your apps anymore, that's, that's a real problem. As the, as the editor of the iTunes guy column, who, who um, deals with Kirk's column every time he comes in, and also sees all of the questions submitted to our um, iTunes guy at Macworld.com. And if you have any questions, please submit there. I see all the questions that come in. And I would say at least half, if not more, of the questions that come in to that account are about iTunes store accounts, Apple IDs, moving families, kids uh, with accounts, the stuff that you were talking about. At least 50% of the questions are about that because, one, Apple makes it really complicated, doesn't do enough to make it easy to share, move stuff, and also doesn't explain it as well as as they could. So, you know, you're, you were definitely not alone and, and our readers seem very interested and have a lot of problems with the whole Apple ID and Apple store, uh, iTunes store and account information stuff. So it's – I see that every day. Um. Since John took my my solution with the uh, with the search improvements, I'm I'll just throw out there. I I wish that iTunes the store gave you the ability to open things in in new windows or new tabs, so that you weren't having to do so much scrolling back and clicking those arrows back and forth to get back to where you started from. I I would like to basically have a, a more browser like experience on uh, when I'm looking for. Things on iTunes. You mean you stuff only you need, could do in iTunes 10? You mm. only need one window. That's yes. All you need. Uh, let, let me throw out one last question there. It's something that uh, uh, I thought of while while John was talking about the different experiences. Uh, younger listeners and Dan Morin may not remember, but um, in the nineteen 
the early 1980s, we had the Bell Telephone Company. And uh, the federal government decided the Bell uh, Telephone Company was too big and, and cut it into many, many regional pieces, broke up Ma Bell. And forget the fact that in the ensuing two and a half, three decades, those companies have all merged again and are basically <laughs> – Pay no of, attention what, to the one phone the same company behind that, the curtain. There was no impact whatsoever. But is it time for Apple to, to kind of do that with iTunes and to, 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 to split it – to break it up into pieces? Uh, arguments for and against, John Seth. I mean I, I've heard so many people talk about iTunes as bloated. iTunes needs to be broken up into separate apps. But I don't know if that's really the solution – iTunes is, uh, you know, it started as a media hub, you know, where your music was and then your video and your TV shows. And it became uh, a syncing application for syncing for your, uh, your, your devices and your Apple TV and all that stuff. And there are all these different parts. There's your podcasts and your books and your music and your movies. But if you have an iOS device, all those things are things you want to have on there. And Apple had an app called iSync, which if you ever had to use it to sync data with, you know, third-party phones back in the day, it was it's not it was not a, not a pretty app. And I don't feel like breaking out the sync part into another app makes sense. I, I just don't know that there's a lot of sense in taking um, all of the features that iTunes has and making them into separate apps. We as we were talking about, we already have separate apps on iOS devices and it doesn't necessarily make it easier. I I don't know that we need with. separate apps, but I think, you know, there's an argument for turning sync rather into something like a like a system preference pane or something like that where you sort of pull, you know, in your system preferences on your Mac, you might just open this pane and then specify where all your sync stuff is coming from. Um and I could see that being one thing that could be removed, the sort of device component could be removed. Uh, the store is interesting. It's it's kind of you know we we now have the Mac App Store, which is a separate app. Um, and I think that you know I don't think most of us would argue that the Mac App Store should be folded into iTunes. Certainly. Oh no. no but there is no. an argument for should there be an an iOS App Store app separate from iTunes as a media player. And and I can see John's point about it is convenient to have a lot of these things in the same place. But I do feel that iTunes has become overloaded and and thus occasionally very confusing when you're trying trying to find something in particular, um, and and things like to me the the line for me was when you started having like PDFs in iTunes, mm. um, and I don't believe you could actually ever open PDFs in iTunes. They they always open in preview, but it's weird to have that as a sort of a file browser for the PDFs or like liner notes or well, and you, you have know, you have them under the book section where you have. Ebooks, right. and then you have now you have audio books under right. and books you can't read your ebooks in the book section either because there's no iBooks on the Mac. So like you know, this is my point is like it keeps building in more and more stuff, uh, and I think to a certain extent you've you've over you know belabored the metaphor, if you will, of this being your your media center. So I think that there are some smart you know perhaps some smart choices apple could make about just carving out portions of these functionality and finding a better fit for them um i don't know that we necessarily need to break everything up into little tiny small pieces but i think there are probably some things that would be better suited to being either in their own app or becoming more a part of the system i the other example i always think of is video um like video specifically video that you you know say shoot you shoot videos on your iphone um 
those it's un, kind of unclear where those should live. Should they live in iTunes? Should they live in iPhoto? Should they live in, you know, in your folder on your hard drive, right? There's never been a really good, uh, you know, so the single solution for dealing with that. Yeah, they, they don't live in iTunes unless you import them elsewhere, edit them, and then bring them into iTunes because iTunes doesn't import them when you plug your phone in. Right, but I but iPhone but or Aperture will or right, I'm but they don't use. quite belong in iPhoto either because you can't really do most of the things you want to do with a video in there either. So it's they they kind of don't have a home, but it's one of those things where it's like there seems like there's there's some more consistency and some clearer lines that could be drawn. And your your host believes um, with every fiber of his being that that the the app portion of iTunes should probably be spun off because the. The, the process of managing and searching and uh, downloading apps is quite different than uh, looking for movies and TV shows and music, I think. I think we've exhausted the topic of iTunes, but listeners, that's not the only topic we're going to talk about today. No, no, you get bonus material right after this word from our other sponsor, and that sponsor is Squarespace which offers easy website hosting and super simple web design. With oodles of easy-to-customize templates, a free domain name, and 24-7 customer support, it's easy to see why customers love Squarespace. You can literally drag photos from your Mac's desktop onto the Squarespace window to upload them to your website, and your site is automatically optimized for the iPhone and iPad 2. Squarespace's unlimited plans offer the best value with unlimited pages, galleries, and blog, unlimited storage, bandwidth, and contributors. Go to squarespace.com slash Macworld to start a free trial. No credit card required. If you decide to purchase, cl- if you decide to purchase, click enter an offer code below the pricing at checkout and enter the offer code Macworld4 to get a 10% discount. That's squarespace.com slash Macworld. Offer code Macworld 4. And the topic for the last portion of our podcast is T-Mobile. After we recorded our silly little pundit showdown last week, uh, T-Mobile went and added the iPhone, becoming the, the last carrier to do so. And Dan Morin has covered that topic extensively at Macworld.com. So, Dan, uh, what's, the, what's the skinny? What do we need to know about, uh, about the iPhone 5 on T-Mobile? Well, the first thing you need to know is that uh, the iPhone 5 goes on pre-order on April 5th, which is, uh, as we record this, the coming Friday, and then on sale uh, sale the following Friday, April 12th. Um, There is some confusion about what, you know, if you've already got an iPhone 5 and you want to... This is what I wanted to dig into. This is what you want to get into. This is, well, all right, so here's the deal as I I understand it currently. If you already have an AT&T iPhone... Um, or an unlocked iPhone that you bought directly from Apple with no contract, which is the same model as the AT&T iPhone, they will, for the most part, work on the existing T-Mobile network, which is to say you should be able to get LTE speeds, which is the fastest 4G available. Uh, you should be able to also get what they call HSPA+, Plus, but there are t- here's where it gets tricky. There are two speed tiers of that. There's a 42 megabit per second tier and a 21 megabit per second tier. 
the current version works with the 21 megabit per second, but not the 42, which is also sometimes called DCHSDPA. I know lots of letters, lots of speeds and numbers. I, it's I very hope confusing. people are writing this down for the quiz at the end. Well, you of don't the podcast. have to write it down because I've already written about oh, it. Oh well, we'll uh, include a link to the show notes so you can but cheat mention- during the quiz portion of the podcast. <laughs> it's an open note quiz. Mm-hmm. So the, the the basic deal of this is if you're in one of the markets covered by T-Mobile's LTE, you're in pretty good shape. Um, when you uh, need to fall back to a slower network, you probably won't get the fastest speeds you want. But honestly, you may not notice that much based on whatever carrier you're using right now. It probably won't be a huge difference even for things like streaming video these days, just because that kind of stuff is really well optimized for these kinds of connections. Now, now uh, T-Mobile's LTE, I just want to jump in there, T-Mobile's LTE network is is fairly nascent at this point, is it not? Correct. Yeah, okay. they're still building it out. Um, they're also building out, so prior to this, you might remember in the past that if you wanted to take your iPhone to T-Mobile, it meant that you were actually only getting edge speeds, which was the the 2G, sort of even below 3G. Uh, and that was because T-Mobile used a different 3G frequency from pretty much anybody else out there. Um, so that meant that you were pretty much limited back to the speeds that you got on like the original iPhone on AT&T back, you know, six years ago. Um, so... Y- Starting last year, I think, in the last year or two, T-Mobile has actually started building out a network that uses the pretty much the same frequency as AT&T. So you can actually take advantage of that in-between LTE and edge speeds these days. So you're in a lot better shape than you were a couple of years ago. Um, if you want to if you want to get the whole shebang, the version of the iPhone 5 that Apple is releasing on T-Mobile on April 12th um, will cover everything. We'll work with every network T-Mobile has. That will also be, I believe, going forward, starting at that point, the AT&T models um, should also have that compatibility. So past April 12th, if you buy an AT&T or T-Mobile iPhone from Apple or one of those carriers, you should be getting one that works on pretty much either of those networks. Um, What's this business I hear about – about no contracts now with uh, with T-Mobile. So, so T-Mobile is claiming that they really, you know, here we're going to reinvent the phone industry. Uh, and, and the way they're doing that is by removing what's called subsidy. So previously, if you bought an iPhone or pretty much any uh, cell phone, usually signed a two-year service agreement. And the, uh, the upshot of that two-year service agreement was that you paid a certain amount for the phone up front, which usually wasn't very expensive. I mean, you can get right a free iPhone 4 or you know, $100 iPhone 4S or $200 iPhone 5, and then you know, you're basically locked into this contract for two years. Now, the reason they do that, I mean, if you go look at the, the cost of an unlocked iPhone 5, it's like $650. So you're essentially getting a deal. Because you're going into the carrier and you're saying, I want to get this device, but you know, I'm going to sign up with a contract for you, thus guaranteeing I'm going to be paying you every month for at least two years. And the, con- the carriers use that to recoup the cost of the phone, which they have subsidized. So they pay that extra 450 bucks uh, that it would have cost you to buy the phone unlocked, and you just sort of slowly pay them back over the course of two years. Uh, now, what T-Mobile is doing that is slightly different is that they are making this much more about an installment plan for the phone. So you will still pay a cheaper cost up front, and you are still more or less locked into a, an agreement that you are going to stick around on this carrier. The difference is when your term expires, you have paid off the phone, and thus those monthly uh, fees that you're paying will go down. So you may be paying 
uh, I believe you have to pay $200 up front for an iPhone 5 and then an additional um, $20 a month for two years. It works out to a little bit cheaper than it would cost to buy a full unlocked iPhone 5. Uh, and at the end of those two years, you no longer have to pay that extra $20 a month. So in effect, after you've paid off the phone, your monthly phone bill goes down. Now, keep in mind that depending on how this works, you know, the life cycle of a phone is also a couple of years. So it, depending on how long you tend to keep and use your phones, that may or may not end up working out for you. Uh, and just because you're not signed into a contract as far as, you know, the, the sort of traditional carrier service goes doesn't mean that you don't have an obligation. You can't buy this phone for cheap and then just, you know, you can take off and leave T-Mobile, you know, but you're going to owe them money because you haven't paid off that phone that you bought. So you're still going to be making monthly payments, but you should be able to switch your service. So it's allowing a little more freedom and focusing a little more attention on the devices themselves. You know, it feels a little more like buying a car now where you sort of, you know, <laughs> not quite take out a loan, but you're paying it off. You have your monthly payments. Yeah. Exactly. You got your monthly payments. And once that's done, you own that thing outright. And that's uh, when the car falls apart and you have to exactly. get a new one beginning the cycle anew. So it sounds like um, that the people who would most benefit from this no contract uh, uh, approach as it's currently designed are people who uh, don't necessarily upgrade to the latest and greatest phones every time one comes out and kind of sure. kind of hold on to that that uh, that that phone you buy for well I was going to say 2 years but probably longer than 2 years is right. when you really begin to see the cost savings. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, I think it's going to be it's going to be over a longer term that you're going to see the benefit. Now, there are so, there also is some freedom in terms of if you want to switch. I mean, that's that's the other part of this is technically you're I believe you don't have a service contract. So, if you decide you want to say, uh, you know, T-Mobile's been okay, I want to go over to AT&T, you can leave T-Mobile, you know, before those two years are up. I mean, you're still going to be paying a monthly payment to pay off that phone. So it's not necessarily going to save you money. But if you want the freedom to, you know, switch carriers, then that may be more more attractive to you. Oh, um, not but, to Verizon and Sprint, we should say. Correct. They're, yes, on the, they use they're on CDMA and, as opposed yep. to GSM. And they use different LTE bands as right. well. So you still need a different model of phone for that. So... I think this is a baby step uh, in terms of the phone industry changing. I, I do think it's significant, but I think that it's uh, you know just sort of another little chip away at the entrenched monopolies that we see from the carriers. Um, I wrote about this a couple weeks ago in terms of how I think that this has been a big play for the iPhone over the long term of the last you know six years of its existence. Is that it has kind of changed the way people think about buying phones and signing up for contracts and, you know, the entire marketplace. Um, and so I think I think we'll see more shifts. It will be very interesting to see how AT&T and Verizon and Sprint react to this, whether they feel that they are secure enough in the way that they do business. Because after all, T-Mobile is the smallest of the four major carriers in the U.S. Um, but it will be interesting to see how that drives the industry and whether or not they these other carriers feel like they need to respond and come up with some way of, you know, offering some of these you know, benefits to their current customers. Dan, thank you for bringing clarity into uh, into the foggy morass of I strive of phone contracts. Um, John Seff, still with us? Hi, John. Oh, sorry. You, Here I am. You haven't spoken in years. I was just going to thank you for joining us on the podcast. I like being thanked. I was going to thank Dan Morin as well. 
Thank you, Phil. Thank you, listeners. Thank you to our sponsors. Hey, if you want to hear more podcasts, be sure to go to iTunes, which, as we've pointed out, is a perfectly decent size and very easy to search, and look for the Play This podcast from our sister uh, site, techhive.com. It's all about digital entertainment. We think if you were to draw the Venn diagram of Macworld podcast listeners and Play This podcast listeners, it would be a perfect circle. So uh, download that and join us next week on the Macworld Podcast. I'm Philip Michaels. Thanks very much for your time.